0: Hi, I'm Eden.
1: And I'm Nicole.
0: Welcome to Roadside Roadside Horror Horror Show. Show. All right, we're in Arkansas this week.
1: The great, great state of Arkansas. Did you you know what its state nickname was? No,
0: I, I have no idea.
1: It's called the natural state.
0: The natural state. I have heard that before.
1: I'm like the natural state of what?
0: I actually don't know a lot about Arkansas. It's not a state that I think of all that much. I know Little Rock, and that's about it.
1: Well, I mean, I have some fun facts that might help you learn more about Arkansas today.
0: Ooh, that'll be good.
1: Um, So like I was saying, it's the natural state. And that's probably because it has a ton of natural wonder. They have forests that basically would be the equivalent of covering the country of Switzerland. One and a half times over. That's how much forest they have in Arkansas. Oh wow! And they also have like nine thousand plus miles of streams and rivers. So it's a beautiful natural landscape there.
0: Very nice.
1: And I guess because of it, there's a lot of like national and state parks that preserve the land. There, they have upwards of two point five million acres of preserved natural landscape.
0: Oh, wow, that's awesome.
1: I know. I was like, Arkansas, who knew? I mean, I knew there was like the Ozarks and stuff like there at that touch yeah. part, top part of the state. But yeah, it's a nature lover's paradise, apparently. Uh, there is a natural wonder in Arkansas that you might be familiar with, though, Eden. Okay. Uh, Apparently, Arkansas is known for its hot springs.
0: Oh, actually, yes, I do know that.
1: Uh, I I remember learning about the Hot Springs National Park, which is like the first state park I remember learning about. That was like, "Ooh, cool! I want to go there." Hot springs—that sounds awesome. Exactly. That's located in Arkansas, and it was actually the first piece of land that the U.S. government protected as as a state park for uh, recreational use, which is pretty cool.
0: Very nice. I've always wanted to go to a hot springs.
1: I know. It seems so cool.
0: But hot. But hot. Just imagine Paris Hilton being like, that's hot.
1: (laughs) I just always think of that clip of her talking about Walmart. Like, what do they sell there? Walls? (laughs) Was it? Forgot about that. (laughs) Uh, Some other cool, interesting things that are uniquely Arkansas. You can go to a diamond mine in Arkansas. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's Crater of Diamonds State Park in Pike County, Arkansas. It's the only active diamond mine in the U.S. and actually one of two diamond mines that ever operated in the U.S. Huh. Yeah. So it's kind of cool because it's a tourist attraction, right? And you can actually go there and like dig for your own diamonds.
0: That's really cool. I'd love to dig for diamonds sometime.
1: I know. And apparently you, you're, you're like in a good place for it. and You probably will find at least something to take home with you. Three of the largest diamonds that were ever found in America, and actually some of the largest ones ever found on Earth, came from Arkansas. Wow. Yep. Yep. I was like, that's really cool. One of them is still on display at the Creator of Diamonds Visitor Center, so you can check it out. It's considered to be the most perfect diamond ever discovered. It's called the Strawn Wagner Diamond.
0: Hmm, never heard of it.
1: I've never heard of it, but I did Google it, and it's, it looks really cool. That's awesome. Other interesting things about Arkansas that I discovered that I feel like you'll appreciate. Magnolia, Arkansas, once boasted the world's largest charcoal barbecue grill. Oh, nice. And it was freaking huge. It was approximately 70 feet in length, and it basically looked like a gigantic ballistic missile when it was closed. Oh, crap. <laughs> it was so big, in fact, that it actually prompted a little bit of a uh, state warfare, I would say. A little, little healthy rivalry with an anonymous Texas, Texas man. you know: oh, wow. how, You know how Texans are like, everything's bigger in Texas. Exactly, yep. Well, they could not let Arkansas have that big grill, so they built an even bigger grill, which is a 90-foot-long charcoal grill, it's, which is currently the longest charcoal grill oh in the God. world. Oh, <laughs> God. Right? How funny is that?
0: That's so weird.
1: Uh, something unique in women's history that relates to Arkansas is that the first woman elected to the U.S. Senate was a Democrat from Arkansas. Oh. Yeah. Her name was Hattie Ophelia Wyatt Caraway, and she was elected in 1932.
0: That's pretty awesome. I'm down with everything but how long her name is.
1: I- agreed. Agreed. One last piece of interesting info about Arkansas, and I think it's kind of interesting because it's from the, you know the world of cinema. Okay. There's only ever been one film shot and set in the state of Arkansas that has ever won an Academy Award. Huh. Any guesses at what it is? No. It's Billy Bob Thornton's Sling Blade.
0: Oh, God. Okay. My dad's <laughs> favorite movie. Really? <laughs> yeah, he loves it.
1: I mean, it's a pretty good movie, but for me, it was like, I can only watch this once. I can't keep watching yeah. it. Yeah. But yeah, the, uh, Sling Blade uh, was set in Arkansas and was filmed there, and it won the Best Screenplay Adaptation Oscar. Oh, wow. Yeah. So now I hope you feel a little bit more, a little bit more tuned in to Arkansas knowledge, and uh, you'll be excited to, to visit there and enjoy the state parks. Maybe mine some, for some diamonds and get some delicious barbecue. Barbecue
0: on a long grill. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> now, the only thing that I wish that you would have covered, Nicole, is the question that's on everybody's mind about Arkansas. Why is Arkansas pronounced Arkansas and Kansas is pronounced Kansas?
1: That's a great question. And I did dig a little into how the heck Arkansas ended up with its name. And yeah. I, and it kind of led me down this linguistic uh, rabbit hole that I couldn't quite make heads or tails of because yeah. part of it is has to do with the Indian names or the Native American names for Arkansas and how it was pronounced versus the spelling. So okay. I didn't feel very confident. So I, d- I kind of, you know, just, claw- just left it out. Yep, yeah, but just left it out. <laughs>
0: I, I do the same thing, or sometimes I'll just, like, in today's story, I'm going to tell you, I don't know what's going on here. You can make what you want of it. This is what I found.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Speaking of today's story, what do, you, what do you got for me?
0: Okay, well, my story for this week takes place in Alexander, Arkansas. This city, along with my story, centers around the railroad. The town was actually made as a construction camp for the railroad. It wasn't even until after work on the railroad was completed that the town became incorporated in 1887. It didn't seem to have a very large population. As of 10 years ago, the census uh, put the population at 2,901. It's also pretty small in area at only 2.25 square miles. And as with some other smaller towns that we've dealt with when doing these intros, I could find absolutely nothing for tourists to do in this town. (laughs) Everything was in neighboring cities. So since I don't have much of an intro for you guys this week, we can delve right into a mystery on the railroad tracks. This is the story of Don Henry and Kevin Ives. Hmm. Are you familiar with this one at all?
1: No, but I'm intrigued because I thought it would be something a little, a little different when you're talking about railroad, but all right, let's let's dive in.
0: I think that a lot of people probably haven't heard of this one, which is why I decided to cover it. Plus, it just sounded really interesting. Our story starts on August 23rd, 1987. So about 100 years after the completion of that railroad, coincidentally. What makes this day so special, you may ask? Well, I will tell you. Something really, really bad happened that day. Mm. Two teenagers, Don Henry, who was 16 at the time, and Kevin Ives, who was 17, were struck and killed by a train on the railway. The train had been en route to Little Rock at 4 a.m. that day. The man driving the train just saw these two kids lying on the tracks. He blew the horn and everything, but they just weren't moving at all. Mm-hmm. So the driver tried to stop, but he couldn't manage it in time. Uh, and he, the, they did collide with the bodies. Uh, so at 4.40 in the morning, the police were called to the scene where the two young men now lay dead. The police also found a flashlight and a 22 caliber rifle near the bodies.
1: Hmm, weird.
0: Yeah. You might think the gun and flashlight thing sounds a bit weird, but there's actually a really normal explanation for all of that. What I was able to find out the two had actually left their house at about midnight to go hunting. I don't know why they would choose to do that in the dark because it doesn't seem very safe, but to each their own, I guess. So, Before this, the boys had been out with friends at like a local hangout spot Mm -hmm. and they had come home around midnight before leaving again for this trip. The weirder thing about this incident, and I'm telling you right now, this doesn't have much bearing on our story, uh, but some people on this train reported seeing a green tarp draped over the boys. But when the cops got there, no such tarp was found. So I don't know if it was just not there to begin with or if the impact of the train ended up causing it to go somewhere. Hmm. And even the tarp could be explained with the hunting story, though, since they may have used it to hold the body of whatever animal they were hunting that night.
1: That makes sense.
0: They also said the boys were probably using a hunting technique called spotlighting. Have you heard of that?
1: I have heard of spotlighting. I have a friend who lives in a pretty, pretty rural area of Pennsylvania, and he, one time we were hanging out and I saw a bunch of, you know, these spotlights in the woods behind his house. And I was like, what the heck is that? And he said it was people hunting. So yeah, um, I'm a little familiar with it. I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but I know sometimes you should be weary if you see flashlights bumping down the road.
0: <laughs> Apparently, yeah, because I hadn't heard of it. Um, so it's when you use a flashlight to blind the animal first and then you shoot it. I've never heard of it because I don't hunt. And I know, I know I eat meat, but I still hate the idea of hunting. I was a vegetarian for years and I still get meat guilt, but it's so tasty and I can't help myself.
1: <laughs> I'm pretty sure like the, the spotlighting too is kind of a like a lot of hunters kind of look down on it. I know folks will do it like to hunt deer like hunt yeah. cars because the light will also freeze the deer and then it's like yep. just very unsportsmanlike.
0: It is. And I was also able to find out that spotlighting is illegal in the state of Arkansas. So if you live there and wanted to use this technique, you're out of luck. Fair enough. Another strange thing about their deaths is that uh, they've done this a few times before in the same spot. So they were familiar with the area and used uh, used it frequently for hunting.
1: Hmm.
0: Uh, So it seems weird that they just like end up being like, let's take a nap on these railroad tracks. Uh, obviously, the new trains came by there. I don't, I don't get it. Uh, but obviously, these bodies were then taken and an autopsy was performed by the medical examiner, whose name was Doctor Fami Malik. Uh
1: oh, Fami Malik. <laughs> I know about I'm, him.
0: I might be pronouncing that wrong. I don't know. But the results of this first autopsy seemed super weird because the deaths were ruled as an accident. They said that the boys had smoked a shit ton of weed and fallen asleep on the train tracks. According to the talk screen, they said that they smoked the equivalent of 20 joints that night. Which just seems a little far-fetched. Yeah. I feel like if you smoke that much weed, you're probably going to pass out before you even finish the 20th joint. So... (laughs) So their parents, however, really, again, did not believe this. And they decided to do some digging of their own to get a second opinion. So for this episode, I was able to find an episode of Unsolved Mysteries to watch and get a little more clarification on some things because information on this was a little scarce online. So thank God for the soothing voice of Robert Stack.
1: It's so reassuring, isn't it?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I was able to hear Kevin's father speak on the episode, and he said that uh, he knew his son wasn't into drugs because he'd never witnessed anything, nor did Kevin ever seem high in his presence. So they were just not buying the autopsy results at all. One of the things that led Don Henry's parents to believe that there was a little more to this uh, than they had gotten was because his father told them, look, my son is very protective of that rifle. There's no way he would have laid it down on the gravel to get it all scratched up he would never have done that so he was very like protective of his gun
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and knew that it would scratch it up if he put it on gravel so he would not have laid it on gravel guy's family even ended up hiring a private detective to find out more about what happened that night but uh they said everything seemed a little suspicious since the police weren't helping the pi at all and now this could be something or it could be nothing at all There are a lot of cops out there that don't appreciate private investigators and refuse to work with them. So who knows? There was also a press conference that the parents of both boys held begging the police to reopen this case because they knew something was up. And luckily, they did succeed in this endeavor. So then in March of 1988, a guy by the name of James Garrett or possibly Richard, we'll get to that in a second, whom the parents had spoken with, also thought this seemed a little odd. This is something else that changes, like depending on the source that I'm using. Wikipedia said he was a doctor, while Unsolved Mysteries said he was a newly appointed prosecutor. One said his name was James, another said it was Richard. Um, It's possible that these are two different people, but it's weird because they had the same last name, so I really don't know. And none of them referenced the other one in other sources. It was one or the other. so. They decided to have another autopsy performed by a medical examiner from Georgia this time. I don't know why Georgia, but from Georgia. And they still found pot in their system. But maybe like the amount of like one or two joints or one or three joints, depending on the source. Mm -hmm. So significantly less than what they were saying before. So up until this point, they had been labeling the deaths as either accidental or suicide. But they took the new findings to the grand jury, and they changed it to probable homicide at this point.
1: Okay, finally, because that's, you know, probably something they should have done a long time ago.
0: Exactly. Like, you'd think you were at Long John Silver's because something smells fishy.
1: Oh, (laughs) jeez.
0: So, we're going to go back to this mysterious tarp for a moment now because they also investigated this claim and neither Don nor Kevin owned a green tarp. So if it did exist, it did not come from either one of them. Mm. And we are not done yet because this changed yet again when further evidence was found. And it turns out that Don Henry had been stabbed in the back and Kevin Ives had a skull fracture that would have been consistent with him being struck with the butt of his own rifle. This proved Don to have been already dead when the train collided with them, and for Kevin to at least have been unconscious, if not dead at the time as well. So they were finally able to change this to definite homicide. Although this is a cold case and the crime hasn't been solved to this day, it wasn't because police didn't have any suspects. They actually had a few, which I will tell you about now. There was this one guy, and no one knows who exactly he was, but he was armed and dressed in military fatigues and he was by the train tracks just a week before Don and Kevin's deaths. So apparently like a cop tried to stop the man and talk to him, but this guy just opened fire on the police officer and he escaped from the cop. There's a lot of woods in that area. Like I said, that's where they were hunting. So it's a very heavily wooded area, very dense. And, um, this guy just disappeared.
1: Wow. That's crazy.
0: Yeah, and he was then seen near the tracks again, or at least someone who matched his description, on the night the boys were murdered. So he's like a big suspect. They also found after reopening the case, this very similar incident in Oklahoma in 1984, so three years earlier. It was again two boys who were hit by a train when lying on the railroad tracks in the exact same position of Don Henry and Kevin Ives.
1: That's super weird.
0: Yeah, it just keeps getting freaking weirder. And the theory that Linda, Kevin's mom, believes is that the boys were murdered because they witnessed drug trafficking going down. So basically, this story is they went hunting, saw something that they shouldn't have, and they lost their lives because of it.
1: Mm.
0: Like, that's the big one that most people believe. Um, I think that this next one... He backs off of the last theory, which is that one of uh, the prosecutors of the case, Dan Harmon, uh, he was arrested for dealing drugs, and they think that he may have been involved. I didn't really find much of a reason for this, but I thought I'd throw it out there anyway.
1: The prosecutor?
0: Wow. Yeah. So I don't know how he got, like, roped into all this, but somehow he is. I didn't find a lot to support that theory, so. Fair enough. In another weird twist to the story, professional wrestler Billy Jack Haynes, who I don't think I remember from when I watched wrestling as a kid. Do you remember him? No, I don't. Uh, He said that he actually is in possession of a tape of Kevin and Don being hit by the train. And his theory is kind of a mix of the main theory, which is the drug trafficking one, and the weird vibes that the private detective got from the police, because according to Billy, the boys did indeed witness drug trafficking. But the ones behind it were dirty cops in on the drug trade,
1: Mm.
0: which I wouldn't put it past them. But
1: yeah, especially like Arkansas in like the 80s. Like, oh,
0: yeah. So unfortunately, like I said, this still remains a cold case. It remains unsolved today. And we have no way of knowing what happened. Seeing as how these murders took place nearly 34 years ago, it was and it wasn't even initially investigated as a homicide. I doubt it ever will be solved uh but on the off chance that anyone out there is listening that has any information at all about this case please contact the authorities uh not only am i one nosy motherfucker but i want and i want to know what happened but the families of the boys also deserve answers and justice as well so if anyone knows anything please come forward my sources for this week were wikipedia the fifth ever episode of unsolved mysteries THV11.com and Encyclopedia of Arkansas.net.
1: Thanks. Thanks for that, Eden. It's interesting um, when you mentioned the coroner uh, Femi Malik, because that's one of those names I've heard. I've heard before in other true crime uh, stories and podcasts. Oh, really? Yeah. He was this notorious uh, coroner, not coroner. Um, I don't think he was actually a coroner. He's like a medical examiner. Medical examiner. Yeah. Cause in, in Arkansas, A coroner is actually somebody who just, you know, kind of isn't like it is not like a is like elected or nominated in a community. It's a a elected position. Yeah. Yeah. And they just kind of show up to confirm that, yes, this person is dead. They don't actually conduct autopsies, that sort of thing. It's very interesting the way it's it's the way it's set up. I learned all about it when I was listening to the podcast uh, Helen Gone, which has a whole episode that talks about some of the controversial rulings that Malik issued when he was in uh, office as the medical examiner in Arkansas.
0: Oh, weird.
1: Yeah, like there's tons of crazy stories. Like there's one, like this guy in 1985 was found dead in his y- front yard with like five gunshot wounds in his chest. Yeah, and Malik ruled it a suicide, oh, <laughs> even though of it looks like he was clearly murdered. And his his argument was like, well, he had a semi-automatic pistol, and those can fire multiple times, and he could have shot himself in the chest multiple times. So
0: I, I still really doubt that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, and like there's there's tons of rulings like that, so it's it's kind of disheartening, you know, for me to see yet another case that Malik was the medical examiner on that clearly has become cold because. It's just, he didn't do his job right. Yep, he didn't do his job right or maybe he covered up something for somebody. Um a lot of the cases he he's touched like especially in the 80s have been reexamined multiple times just because it's just not something's not kosher as you said. It smells fishy.
0: I think that he's either like just really bad at his job. Or he very much is covering something up for someone, you know, high and mighty. Maybe someone on the police, maybe someone in government, who knows? Mm-hmm. But it sounds like he's definitely hiding things and being paid off.
1: Yeah. A little bit of both probably. Probably. If I had to suspect anything, but Yeah. Cool. Well, um, thanks for that story. Uh I'm excited to share my true crime or my true crime story with you once I find it. Hopefully it won't be a cold case. We'll get some resolution for you.
0: Yeah, because I I always hate having no answers at the end of it.
1: <laughs> All right, I guess we'll take a quick break, and then I will share my paranormal story with you. Uh, spoiler alert: it also involves trains.
0: Oh, nice! <laughs> we have a theme.
1: We do have a theme this episode.
0: Maybe the episode title can just be a shit ton of trains.
1: <laughs> check a check a murder. <laughs>
0: And we are back, guys.
1: Hey. And
0: I actually have a news story since I forgot about it last time. <laughs> um, so the first one I want to talk about since I'm kind of doing two, but one's just short because it's funny. I found it on Facebook. So apparently there was this woman who bought a PS5. And, Nicole, you've seen what the PS5 looks like, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's very ugly and weird. Um, and apparently she bought it. She thought it was a freaking um, air purifier Uh (laughs) and then returned it after she realized it was not an air purifier, but a very nice video game console.
1: So here's my butt is so hurt over this because I can't find a PlayStation 5. Nope. But also it's like, didn't she notice that the price was like really high for an air purifier?
0: She thought it was a really great quality one, I'm sure. (laughs) It does, and in her defense, it really does kind of look like an air purifier.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's not totally crazy, but also, the packaging says PlayStation.
0: I know, and it probably has, like, advertisements for, like, video games on the back of it.
1: I know, not, like, pure air, like... (laughs) Right,
0: exactly, like, read what you're buying. I don't get it, I don't get it, and I actually, like, I'm not going to buy a PS5 right now, because I don't have the money, but... I went to look online just for pricing, and I couldn't find any PlayStation 5s. I found one that was over $1,000 because apparently it was the last one in stock somewhere.
1: Yeah, yeah. Everybody, like, a bunch of, like, the whole, like, scandal is a, a bunch of people, like, scalpers bought it, and now it's, like, twice as much if you go to eBay and stuff like that. It's nuts.
0: Yeah, this was on, like, Overstock or something that came up when I searched. Um, so yeah, I thought that was crazy, so I definitely wanted to share that one with you. And then I have one that I think takes the cake. It might not be as great as a priest having a dominatrix orgy on a you know, altar and church, but still pretty good. So an anti-gay Hungarian politician has resigned after being caught by police fleeing a twenty five man orgy through a window.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, so, According to this news article, an ally of Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban resigned from the European Parliament after attending what was described as a 25-man orgy in Brussels. Joseph Shire quit as an MEP on Sunday and later said he was present at a private party. And that's in quotations, guys. Mm-hmm. So a member of the European Parliament representing Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban's uh, Fidesz Party, I'm probably not pronouncing that right either because Hungarian is just not a language I'm familiar with, um, has resigned from his position in Brussels after he was caught leaving what's reportedly described as a 25 man orgy on Friday. Joseph Shire resigned on Sunday after he admitted to breaching Belgium's strict lockdown rules to attend a sex party, political reports on Tuesday. The police found 25 naked men at the gathering, including Shire and some diplomats. The Belgian newspaper. Something that I can't pronounce reported. (laughs) (laughs) The newspaper quoted a local police source as saying, we interrupted a gangbang.
1: Oh my God.
0: Yeah. Orbán's Hungarian government has curtailed LGBTQ rights since he was elected prime minister in 2010. Shire, who fronted um, that organization in the European Parliament, helped rewrite Hungary's constitution to protect the institution of marriage as a union of a man and a woman, the Times of London reported. Shire, a right wing politician and ally of Orban, climbed out a first floor window and was spotted fleeing along the gutter, the public prosecutor's office said. A source close to the investigation told Politico that officers were called after a complaint about a nighttime disturbance. <laughs> Authorities said narcotics were found in Shire's bag. Shire insisted he had not taken drugs. Of course, those syringes up my ass are not mine, remember. <laughs> Um, the public prosecutor's office said a passerby reported to the police that he had seen a man fleeing along the gutter he was able to identify the man the man's hands were bloody why were they blow i don't even want to think about that probably
1: because he probably scampered out the window i was like
0: maybe i'm hoping it wasn't involved with sex it is possible that he may have been injured while fleeing okay good i should have just read the next sentence guys <laughs> instead of getting really disturbing images in my head Uh, narcotics were found in his backpack. Uh, the man was unable to produce any identification documents. And then the rest of it just goes on to pretty much repeat. Although he does say, I deeply regret violating the COVID restrictions. It was irresponsible on my part. I am ready to stand for this fine that occurs. Well, you should also probably not have done anti-LGBTQ legislation and then attended a gay orgy.
1: I know. I don't understand why that's like, still like such a true thing, like self-hating gays. You like have to or maybe it's to do with, like, the fact that, like, you for it's, like, forbidden and taboo to you, so you have to, like, try it. I don't know. Exactly.
0: I don't- oh, and that was from Business Insider, by the way, so we don't get sued. <laughs>
1: business Insider?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I really feel like I'm inside business, and I know that he was inside a bunch of guys' businesses. <laughs> or maybe their business was inside him. I don't know his life.
1: Either way, I support Business Insider. <laughs> <laughs>
0: All righty. Now that the fun part's out of the way.
1: All right. Well, I guess I'll, I don't know if I can top that, but I'll, I'll sure <laughs> try.
0: <laughs> well, I'm sure he got topped. Ooh. I just keep going. I can't stop, and neither could he <laughs> in his drug fueled orgy.
1: You shouldn't. You should never stop. <laughs> never ahead. surrender. I am so never sorry. give up. <laughs> uh, so okay. So my story for day, as I spoiled it, alerted a little bit earlier, also involves a train. But I'll get into that that a little later. So today we're heading to Gordon, Arkansas. It's the second largest city in Clark County. It has a population of 2,212 residents. Gordon is about two and a half square miles and is located about 75 miles south of Little Rock and 15 miles northeast of Arkadelphia, which is the seat of Clark County.
0: Are there just a lot of, like, really small cities and towns in Arkansas? Because that's the second largest, and it was pretty much the same population and size as my story's location was.
1: There are, actually, because uh, it's a lot of small cities. A lot of them are similar to both of our, our, our locations today, along train tracks, that sort of thing.
0: Gotcha. Okay. The more you know.
1: Uh, as I mentioned, Gordon's has is also along Railroad. It's served as an important... Railroad stop and center for the timber industry in southern Arkansas for most of its history, and today it still has a very timber, lumber-driven economy. The first settlers arrived in the area around 1819, um, but the population grew really slowly. By 1874, the population suddenly boomed when the Cairo and Fulton Railroad started construction in the area and put, basically put in the rail lines. Uh, the first post office was established, and the city was officially incorporated in 1880. There are several theories that exist about why they named the city Gordon. Some sources say that it was named in honor of railroad executive and philanthropist Henry Gordon Mar- Marquand, Markand, or Marquand, while others say it was named in honor of Gordon Cunningham, who was the man that surveyed the area for the railroad company. Throughout the rest of the 19th century, Gordon prospered and the timber industry in the area quickly grew. The city expanded as more companies opened timber mills in the area. The number of mills that operated in the area really hit their peak in the late 19th century.
0: Okay, so this was a pretty industrious area.
1: Yeah, for sure, for sure. The first newspaper was founded in Gordon in 1886 and was called the Gordon Advocate. Today, it's known as the Gordon Times and is still published. And the Gordon Jail was constructed around the turn of the century. So Gordon basically has everything you'd expect a small town to have, like a local newspaper, a pretty decent industry, and also most of your normal civic buildings. One very specific, unique event occurred in Gordon, and it was the founding of the Continuated Order of Hoo-Hoo.
0: That sounds like a bunch of hoo-hoo to me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs)
1: It is weird. So
0: apparently was very easy for you to say. (laughs)
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, It was founded in 1892 at Hotel Hall. It's a worldwide organization that serves as the International Lumberman's Association.
0: Huh.
1: Uh, The hoo-hoo still exists with multiple chapters around the world, including one in Gordon. There's also a hoo-hoo monument in Gordon that was built in 1908. To commemorate the founding of the order, I just couldn't resist being able to talk about hoo hoo throughout all of my research.
0: Exactly, I'm kind of very interested in this hoo hoo now too. It just—it's <laughs> the dumbest name I've ever heard, and I love it.
1: I know it's like like I get that like owl say who and they're in trees, but like I don't I don't see the relation to.
0: <laughs> I don't get it either.
1: Uh, <laughs> oh, the 1890s—what a wacky time!
0: Yes, I mean, I remember them fondly.
1: (laughs) After years of growth, Gordon's population began to shrink, following the trend that a lot of small towns and cities across Arkansas experienced. Uh, U.S. Highway 67 and Interstate 30 were constructed nearby, making it way easier to travel to the county seat, Arkadelphia, and other cities rather than using the rail line. In 1968, the rail ceased passenger service to Gordon, and much of the tracks in the area were removed. The railroads that do still operate in the area are mostly part of the city's economy that ties to the lumber industry. So it's mostly like um, railroads that are used for industrial shipping. Okay. But it's along these railroad tracks outside of Gordon that we are actually going to stop at today. You see, haunted railroad? Sort of. Over the past 90 years, many residents and visitors to Gordon have reported seeing strange, unexplained lights along the railroad tracks.
0: Ooh, okay. Well, it could be people spotlighting.
1: You would think that, and you would think you could see a person. But this light's super weird. So it appears along a specific four-mile stretch of, of railroad tracks outside of the town. Observers have reported seeing this eerie light as it hovers about one to three feet above the ground, and it shines a variety of colors. Usually it's either white-blue, and sometimes it can shine in orange-red. The light glows for no more than ten seconds with each flash, and observers have often reported seeing multiple flashes in a brief period.
0: Now, is this always in the same area?
1: Yep. It's, a, it's not the exact same spot. It's not like one spot. It's like a four-mile stretch where you could see it along the railroad tracks. Okay. Some witnesses have stated that they've seen the light like in front of them, and it'll flash for several beats, and then it'll disappear. When they turn around, the light will all of a sudden have appeared behind them, blocking their path.
0: Huh. This is an um, uh, area highly populated by uh, Irish and... Scott, scottish people by any chance
1: uh i don't know are you thinking what wisp w- will-o-wisp will-o-the-wisp yeah that's a good question surprisingly um that seems like the most like relatable mythological creature <laughs> uh, <laughs> um to this story and it, it didn't pop up in my research so weird
0: knows? okay because i'm i'm thinking of that and i'm also getting heavy vibes of um what was it in texas the
1: Oh, yes. That light that the uh, college students debunked with their iPhones. Yes. (laughs) And GPS coordinates. (laughs) Yeah, this is a little different, and that's why I thought it was a super interesting uh, phenomenon.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely intrigued, and I'm eager to hear more.
1: So uh, the first time someone reported seeing the Gordon light was back in the 1930s. As a train approached Gordon, an elderly engineer named John stepped out onto the caboose platform. He spotted a strange light and observed that the light was following the train before all of a sudden it shot up and disappeared into the air. It came back and started following the train for another mile, and then it zipped off into a local cemetery that happened to be along the railroad tracks.
0: Weird. So now I'm thinking possibly aliens, too.
1: Right? It's weird. Now, there's a couple other local legends that tie to this first appearance of the Gordon Light. Uh, One story is, is what you'd expect it to be it says that the light comes from the lantern of a railroad worker who was killed when he fell into the path of an oncoming train.
0: That reminds me of Hooker Man in um, Jersey.
1: Yep, yep, very very similar. Um, and this legend states that the man's head was separated from his body and it was never found, and that the light is, that people see is coming from the man's lantern as his ghost searches for his missing head.
0: That's exactly the Hooker Man story in Jersey. Yep. Yep. It's, he's looking for his missing like arm or something.
1: Yeah, so it it did remind me of a bunch of of stories like that. Like Hookerman's a good example. Um, but the interesting thing about the Gordon Light is there's another story that's actually clearly documented in contemporary newspapers that oh, wow. kind of could also be. It's also been used as like an origin story for the Gordon Lights.
0: And see, that's always interesting because, like, you know, so much of this is unexplained and could just be word of mouth, like, weirdness mm-hmm. and legends that kids tell to each other to scare each other, you know. But, like, with um, the, the dragon story that I did, mm-hmm. like, that was all heavily documented in the newspapers, too.
1: Right. Well, and this is the weird thing about the Gordon Lights. It's, like, really well-known around town. Like, anybody in the street would be like, oh, yeah, just go out there at night. And you'll if, you go, if you go long enough, enough, like, several times a week, you'll see it eventually. Like, it's huh. just, there's tons of witnesses. There's actually uh, uh, f- photographs posted online. Um, like your story, I also watched an episode of Unsolved Mysteries, and the Unsolved Mysteries camera crew actually captured the Gordon light on film as well.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, so it's, it's weird. It's like an actual legit light phenomenon. It's, it's not like the typical, uh, it's very well documented versus other kinds of paranormal phenomenons that we, we hear about. So if you ask a local in Gordon... They might tell you that first legend, but they also might tell you about this tragedy that also happened in the 1930s. Uh on December 3rd, Oh, 1930-
0: weird. I just looked at pictures of it.
1: Oh, you just looked it up? Yeah. Right? It's it's weird. It's like an actual like light floating on the railroad tracks.
0: Yeah, that is really strange. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Huh. Okay, I'm sorry. Continue.
1: No, I'm glad you looked it up. It's it's very like, you're like, oh, okay, that's like a legit light.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: So uh, on December 3rd, 1931, a freight car with 14 cars attached derailed just southwest of the city. Railroad officials who were investigating discovered that some of the rails had been tampered with and believed that whoever did it had meant for an other trail, another rail line, the Sunshine Special, which was a passenger train, to actually be the train that derailed. Basically, this passenger train goes along the same corridor around the same time. And it was delayed, and so a freight train went through and derailed and lost a couple cars. Uh, if it, this would have been a passenger train, it would have definitely killed people, uh, since the passenger train usually traveled around 60 to 70 miles an hour. So that kind of locomotive derailing would have caused a lot of, of death and devastation. Yeah. So a local railroad foreman named Will McLean suspected that one of his workers, uh, Louis McBride, had something to do with this. That evening, McLean confronted McBride, and we don't know exactly what they argued about, but we do know that McBride was fired. Okay. Then on December fourth, nineteen. Well, with
0: those names, it could be Will the Wisp,
1: right? Uh, good point. Good point. Uh on on December fourth, so the next day, uh, Will McLean's wife alerted the city marshal that her husband hadn't returned from work the night before. She had spent part of her morning asking around, seeing if any of their neighbors or any of the other men that worked on his shift had seen him, and none of them knew where Will was. So she became really concerned because it wasn't like him to not come home after work. Yeah. Uh, the marshal began to take the same course of action, walk going around town asking people and looking for any sign of Will. Nobody had seen him, so the marshal formed a search party. As they retraced the last area where Will was seen, which was the train station, basically the rail tracks, they started spanning out. So as they moved out of Gordon, that, so the tracks, basically that four-mile stretch outside of Gordon, <laughs> they found a trail of blood. And the trail of blood led from the tracks and into a swampy area near the woods. At the end of the trail, they unfortunately found Will McLean's dead body. Oh, It was very clear that he had died from four severe blows to the head and a bloody spike maul and shovel were also found near his body.
0: Oh, like a railroad spike?
1: Uh, Well, it's a spike maul. So the railroad spikes that they use to to hammer the ties in, this is the hammer they use. So one end is is square and blunt and you use that to drive in and the other has a hook on the end that you can use to fry them up. So basically a big-ass railroad hammer. Yeah. Uh, The marshal determined that McLean didn't die right away. He had actually crawled from the railroad tracks into the woods. Oh, no. Legend has it that McLean's lantern was still clutched tightly in his hands when they found his body. Well, the marshal starts to interview the men who work on McLean's crew since he was a foreman. He spots Louis McBride and thought that McBride was acting really suspiciously, so he brought him in for questioning. At the jail... McBride quickly admits that, yes, he had had an altercation with McLean and that he had been fired. Eventually, he admits to murdering Will McLean because he was angry over being fired. So Louis McBride is found guilty of murder at trial and he's sentenced to death by electrocution. Despite his appeals, McBride was executed in the electric chair at the Little Rock Penitentiary on July 8th, 1932
0: and And see i have like this whole newfound like suspicion of confessions from different documentaries and stuff like that that i've watched recently where people have been giving false confessions
1: Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm. Uh, because i mean if police badger you enough you're and talk to you enough for like hours and hours and hours on end where even though you can leave You don't necessarily want to because that makes you look guilty. You think so, and you also think you want to be helpful and help them solve the crime. Mm -hmm. So then you're more likely to give a false confession because they wear you down, and eventually you're going to say whatever the hell they want you to say. Exactly. So I'm always a little suspicious of confessions now.
1: I mean, I think that's fair. I don't. I think in this particular situation, just based on the article, like the newspaper articles that I read and stuff. Not a lot of people liked Louis McBride, and he was okay. kind of known around town as being very quick to anger. So yeah. I, I think you know, based on some of the people who were interviewed in the newspaper, it doesn't seem crazy that he would snap if he got fired because he really needed that job. I mean, it wasn't—it was the 1930s. It was 1931. You're talking about just the beginning of the Great Depression, where everybody's on a tight budget. So
0: very true. Yeah, I could see where he would be very angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: So. But that's that's the real legend that people say. They say that over the that, that light could possibly be tied to Will McLean's death, and that's the, the, the well documented legend. Now the crazy thing is that over the years the light's been repeatedly investigated to determine if maybe maybe it isn't Will McLean's ghost. Uh, maybe it's something uh-huh. that we just don't understand, some kind of natural phenomena. Yeah. Um, just like that light in Texas we mentioned earlier, a lot of people assume that the lights could be the reflection of automobile headlights coming from nearby interstate 30 but even though on a map the interstate looks really close to that section of rail it's not it's about two miles away and it wasn't built until the 1970s so it doesn't really explain all of the sightings that happened before the highway built because remember people have been seeing this light since the 1930s yeah uh other people say that it could be, you know, just plain old swamp gas. Like there's some swampy, woody, wooded areas near that section of railroad track. And I was like, Oh yeah, that, that makes sense. Cause you know, swamp light is weird. It changes color. Like swamp gas, it can be bluish, it can be red, it all depends. But the thing is, usually when you have something like swamp gas it has to be uh it's only viewable under certain weather conditions. So for example, if it's windy or rainy, you won't see swamp gas lights. Yeah. Now the Gordon light has been reported during all types of weather, which includes huh. rain, storm. They will people have been out there and have seen the light even on really windy nights, which would dissipate something like a swamp gas effect.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Uh the most interesting theory in my book is that the Gordon light is the result of piezoelectricity
0: i don't know what the hell you just said
1: <laughs> i had never heard this term either but piezoelectricity is an electrical charge that accumulates in certain solid materials specifically things like crystals or quartz ceramics okay um, and basically Those that are
0: good conductors mm-hmm,
1: if you apply enough mechanical pressure and stress to it it'll generate an electrical charge so it's very interesting like the idea that you can like basically like compress quartz and it can generate electricity. Yeah. Now, the city of Gorton is actually built over a very large crystal quartz deposit, and it also happens to lay on the New Madrid fault line. Okay. Now, proponents of the piezoelectric theory s- suspect that the continuous movement of the New Madrid fault line has been applying pressure to the quartz, resulting in these lights kind of manifesting. Um, this theory does... Ha- Seem to make a lot of sense, especially when you consider that the Gordon Light first appeared in the 1930s when there was a sudden increase in the normal seismic activity along the New Magis fault line. There had always been earthquakes here and there, um, including a really big earthquake in the 18-teens. But in the 1930s, uh, seismologists began to track very regular rumblings along this fault line. Okay. So, sounds like we may have solved the Gordon Light.
0: It's possible.
1: But. It turns out there's some big butts, and I cannot lie.
0: I, I like big butts, so <laughs> continue.
1: The big butt here is that there doesn't seem to be any clear scientific way to explain how these electrical charges are reaching the surface and creating a light. So usually when you see a, a, like a flash of light from electricity, it has to have something that's conducting it, and there's nothing that would explain how this, you know, piezoelectric effect is going from the quartz bedrock underneath the city of gordon and reaching you know let's say yeah. a mile or two above like soil and appearing and manifesting above these rail lines yeah it's so,
0: got a lot to get through
1: yeah so there's no there, so like it seems like that might hold the key to the lights but it doesn't really it doesn't quite fit either which is interesting to me but yeah so that's the story of the gordon lights it could be caused by the the unfortunately murdered spirit of a Railroad foreman. It could be caused by some geothermic activity that we don't quite understand. But yeah, you can go check it out. I uh, like it's one of those things. When I learned about it, I'm like, I really want to go here.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't mind going here either.
1: So, what are you thinking?
0: I think I'm gonna go check this out and see what it is. And uh while I'm there, I'm going to you know get some barbecue on a very very long barbecue. Um, <laughs> that's. That that's where I'm at, because I have no idea what this light could be. I mean, I have a few, you know, ideas, but I have no way of proving or disproving this. Uh, it's very confusing and it's definitely different from things that we've covered before, so it's very interesting.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of cool like there's actually set, like uh, some physicists at uh, and seismologists at the University of Little Rock who will hold regular like student classes and take them out to Gordon to see the lights. Oh, cool. And I'm like, that's so awesome.
0: Yeah, I, I, want, I want to go see these lights.
1: Uh, my sources for today's story were Wikipedia, the Encyclopedia of Arkansas, Unsolved Mysteries, of course, DeadHistory.com, Arkansas.com, Atlas Obscura, Mental Floss, and Only in Your State.
0: Very nice. We used a lot of the same sources. hmm
1: mm-hmm. So I think that pretty much wraps it up.
0: I think it does. I hope everyone enjoyed this episode. I know I did.
1: If you'd like to share your thoughts on today's episode, you can do that in a number of ways. You could absolutely rate and review us in the podcatcher of your choice. You could also send a quick email to us at roadsidehorrorshow at gmail.com.
0: You could also get a hold of us on social media. We are on Facebook and Instagram at Roadside Horror Show, and we are also on Twitter at Roadside Horror.
1: If you are so inclined, you can also swing by our website, which is roadsidehorrorshow.podbean.com. There you can find all of our episodes, as well as any update and news items that we might have for y'all.
0: We would also like to thank Yawks Rocks Designs for our logo, and E. Massey for our intro and outro music, as always.
1: Until next time, Roadsters,
0: creep on, creeping on. on.